The Old Testament reading for this fifth Sunday after Pentecost comes from the prophet Ezekiel chapter 33 starting with verse 7. So you son of man, I have made a watchman for the house of Israel. Whenever you hear a word from my mouth, you shall give them warning from me. If I say to the wicked, O wicked one, you shall surely die, and you do not speak to warn the wicked to turn from his way, that wicked person shall die in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at your hand. But if you warn the wicked person to turn from his way, and he does not turn from his way, that person shall die in his iniquity, but you will have delivered your soul. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The epistle reading for this morning comes from Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 13, starting with verse 1. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval, for he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes, for the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. Owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. according to St. Matthew, the 18th chapter. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus, saying, 
Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. Woe to the world for temptations to sin, for it is necessary that temptations come, but woe to the one by whom the temptation comes. And if your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life crippled or lame than with two hands or two feet to be thrown into the eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into the hell of fire. See that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I tell you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. For the Son of Man came to save the lost. What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the ninety-nine on the mountains and go in search of the one that went astray? And if he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the ninety-nine that never went astray. So it is not the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Who is the greatest? That's a question that's asked over and over again in our society today. We have wonderful traditions and even great economies built around that question. March Madness, the Super Bowl, NBA playoffs, the Olympics, all built around the question, who is the greatest? 
Of, of course, those that I named, those are team efforts at being the greatest, right? What about individuals? Well, one of the most colorful and well-known characters who claimed greatness in the field of sports was Muhammad Ali. <laughs> he once said, I am the greatest. I said that even before I knew I was. <laughs> he made his case in the ring. Bill Gates made his case with a computer. You might say that Martin Luther made his case with a hammer and a church door. We want to be great. The disciples of Jesus are no different than we are. And Matthew 18 begins with the disciples asking Jesus this question, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And this is not the only time that they ask this question or that they struggle with wanting to be great, with jockeying for position. In fact, in Matthew, just a couple of chapters later, we're going to hear that James and John, in one of the Gospels, and their mother, in another of the Gospels, so all of them are working, right, coming to Jesus and saying, in Matthew's case, uh, he records that uh, James and John say, do, do something for us, Lord, whatever we ask. I don't know what what they think they have there, that Jesus should do whatever they ask, but uh, let us sit, one of us on the right, one of us on the left, in your kingdom. And of course, the other disciples, the other ten that's uh, recorded, they're indignant. And part of their indignance, that's a word, part of their being indignant is that they want to be the greatest. <laughs> so there's this tension there in the disciples. Another place that's recorded in the scriptures is at the Last Supper. There they are in the upper room. They're all reclining at table, and Jesus tells them, one of you will betray me. And it says, then there broke out an argument about who of them was the greatest. And you can kind of imagine how that might have gone. Right? One of you is going to betray me. What? Is that I, Lord? It's not me. No, it's not me. Is it you? You're, you might, you know, not me. And so there's this bickering that begins. They start arguing about which of them is the greatest as Jesus is preparing to go to the cross. But maybe we have to have a little bit of mercy on our disciples today because um, our reading comes just one chapter after the transfiguration. So there they are up on the mountain and they see Jesus glorified. And he's talking with who? Moses and Elijah. And they're talking about the coming kingdom. Talking about his departure. And so they see him in all of his glory. And, and what they've suspected, I think now they say, yeah, it's really coming. We're going to overthrow the Romans. We're going to set up a kingdom. So maybe we have to excuse them a little bit if they're talking about what are we going to do in the kingdom? And what are, what's our place going to be in? Who's going to be Jesus' right-hand man? They don't get it and can't exactly blame them for that, I don't think. But Jesus here gives them a lesson, gives them an object lesson this time, not a parable, but an object lesson. He calls to himself a little child. And uh, we know there are different Greek words for 
children uh, that specify a little more um, age, like we have infant. Child's a little, I don't know what, youth. That's a little older, maybe. Uh, this word that's in the Greek here is, is paideon, paideon, and it means a young child. It can mean an infant, so it's on the very young end of the scale. So Jesus calls, hey, you know, mom, bring, bring your child over here, you know, this little child, and hold him up. And of course, we've talked about this before in our society, you know, we kind of uphold children in our society. Uh, let the children lead. Right? That's a common kind of idea. The old folks, the, the, uh, the adults, they've kind of messed up the world. Let the children lead. Well, I don't know what kind of a world you'd have if the children were leading. <laughs> but uh, you'd probably be eating different foods. Um, lucky charms for breakfast every day, lunch every day, dinner every day. Um, it wouldn't be the same kind of a world. I don't think, you know, we kind of have that kind of an idea, but it's not a real idea. It's just nice to say. And we're kind of saying something when we say that. In the uh, classical world, the child was way at the bottom of the totem pole. Because in the classical world, you revere knowledge and understanding, um, wisdom, those kinds of things are revered, and a child doesn't have any of that. You know, they're just, they have nothing. They just need, right? They're just needy of their parents. So there's a very different view when Jesus sets up this child in the middle of them. Here are the disciples, you know, which of us is the greatest? Which of us is going to be the greatest in the kingdom? And Jesus puts a child there and says, be like this child. That's very different than how we hear it. Children were a nuisance. I remember, the, remember the, the disciples keeping the children away from Jesus. And Jesus says, wait a minute, what are you doing? <laughs> Let the little children come to me. For of such is the kingdom of heaven. Right? Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Wow. key phrase here is that one must turn and become like a child. But the key word, I think, is not child, not become, but turn. The disciples are headed in one direction, right? Which of us is the greatest? They have ideas about what the kingdom is going to look like, what it should look like, what they think God should make it look like, etc. Arrogance, pride, right? Rearing their ugly heads. Jesus says, you've got to turn. You've got to change your whole vision of this thing. Or you're never going to get in. You're never going to be part of it. If I were a disciple, I think that'd be hard for me to understand too. And I wouldn't blame the others around me for... Uh, still not getting it as we go along because it's so different than what our sinful flesh desires in the kingdom of heaven, desires for ourselves. So the key phrase there is, or the key word is turn. We have to turn from our arrogance, from our pride, for our desire for power and control and recognition. A little child is absolutely the opposite 
of what the disciples are or what we are in our flesh. A little child is needy. So Jesus is saying here, we have to be needy. A little child is completely dependent on its parents. So, in the same way, we should be completely dependent on God, our Father. We have to be those who are poor in spirit in those Beatitudes. Completely against our nature. This natural man in us, this old Adam, our sinful nature, it doesn't see us as needy at all. In fact, if we see ourselves as needy, it's probably because somebody else is telling us that we're needy, putting us down. We don't like that. You know, now we're, now we're at odds with that person. Our nature puffs us up, glancing to the, to the left, to the right, comparing ourselves against others around us, finding fault with that one and that one because it makes us look or feel better, trying to, to gain the high moral ground. In this way, we are maybe like some little children, but not an innocent one, not one we'd like to be. We're like the child with the chocolate smeared all over our face, denying that we ate the candy bar. Or maybe we make an excuse, my brother made me eat it. I didn't get the chocolate down, it was just here on the counter. Somebody else did that, that's their fault. Sometimes we even convince ourselves that it's not our fault. We're dissatisfied with this or that. We, we wish for things that we don't have, but we don't call it coveting because that would be a sin. We talk about other people. We tell tidbits of their lives more than we really should, uh, but we don't call it gossip. That's a pretty strong word. Maybe we don't tell the whole story. Uh, leave some things out, embellish some other things uh, to make ourselves look better. We cover our tracks, we hide our sin from each other, trying to convince other people that we're really very good. Luther once said, original sin is in us at birth, yet it is hidden to all the world. And our powers, our reasoning and thinking do not reveal it but rather they obscure, defend, and excuse it. Now I think what he said is pretty on the mark. Our natures are sinful from birth. We want to be great. We want to be thought of as great. Rather than depending completely on God, we prefer to depend completely on ourselves. In our flesh, we, we trust our own perception of things, our perception even of our own goodness, in order to maybe convince ourselves, to convince us that God is happy with us. We, like the disciples, we need to turn, we need to repent. There are wages that have to be paid for our sin. And our reading today points to those wages. Jesus talks about it being better for someone uh, that rather than to cause a little one to sin, to have a great millstone. Uh, and that the word, I know we've mentioned it before, there are a couple of sizes of millstones. This is the great millstone uh, that a donkey would be turning. Not a little one, which is enough to drown me in the sea, but no, the great big one. We deserve to have that put around our necks, drowned into the sea. It'd be better for that to happen to me 
than to, for me to cause one of these little ones to sin. Then he talks, of course, about if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out, throw it away. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Your foot, better to enter life maimed, better to be part of the kingdom maimed than to have anything keep you out of the kingdom. These are harsh words that point to judgment for sin. And Jesus says to the disciples and to us today that unless we turn, unless we become like children, recognize our abject poverty of spirit, our absolute need of God's grace and His forgiveness, we'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. Repent, He says, and become completely and utterly dependent on God's grace in Jesus Christ. That's what it means to become like a child. And John says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So this is what Jesus means when he holds a child in their midst and says, be like this child. They, they are asking him, how do you be great in the kingdom? Kind of like, what should we be practicing or doing? Uh, maybe I'm already doing it. Or maybe so-and-so needs to work on it. You know, And Jesus goes a different direction there. Turn, repent, acknowledge your utter need for God's grace. And our, our Bible study in the morning here is talking about the book of Concord. And we've been talking about the the catechism and of course we learn in catechism we say I believe that I cannot by my own reason or strength believe in Jesus Christ my Lord or come to him but the Holy Spirit has called me by the gospel enlightened me with his gifts sanctified and kept me in the one true faith this is what God does for me it's not something that I do for God the Holy Spirit has called us by the gospel that Jesus, the good shepherd, has come to find the lost sheep that we who are in need of his grace receive that as a gift. That Christ died to pay those wages of sin. That he's risen from the dead in victory over that sin, over the grave, over death itself that the Holy Spirit has called us to new life in our baptism as a redeemed child of God. And that same Spirit turns us, turns us to recognize our sin, to repent of our sin. And so, even the turning and becoming children is a gift of God. That's why that that picture of the little child is so appropriate. It can do nothing to earn its way into your hearts or your family or anything like that. Nothing. Everything that it has is a gift from the parent. Everything that we have in our faith, in our spirit, even in the world, in our flesh, is a gift from God, our Father. And the good news for us who are by nature not children, but arrogant sinners, is that Jesus was that child for us. When he took 
our sin on himself, he became the needy one. He became the sinner. And he submitted himself to the will of the Father and took up his cross, took up death itself to redeem us. And his cries of, Why have you forsaken me? And into your hands I commit my spirit. These cries show his complete dependence. God the Son making himself completely dependent on the Father. Although he was God, he humbled himself on our behalf. When Jesus says, turn and become like this child, he did it for us. He did all things for us. And in baptism then, Jesus has united us to himself, given us the forgiveness of sins, given us his very righteousness. And we confess that like a little child, we have nothing and we need everything. And we thank our Lord for all that he has done for us. We thank him for bringing us into the kingdom, giving us salvation. Teams and individuals, they have to work really hard to achieve greatness in the things of this life. You can think about Muhammad Ali. You can think about some others. Uh, I was looking uh, at great athletes who, who give praise to God. There are a number of them. But you think about all the work that they have to go through to um, reach that point where they have that greatness. Thank God that the highest possible honor and greatness is to be a child in the kingdom of God. And it's not something that we have to work for. It's not something that we have to achieve. But it's something that's given to us needy people as a gift. May we always rejoice in the great mercy and grace of our God. In the name of Jesus, amen.